and understand them, much like you'd use human-centered design to figure out what the external customer wants, and go down the hallway and maybe that's that key leader who you need to support you can figure out what's important to them and you can build the relationship and the trust, mentorship perhaps, make those bonds that then might have that person support you. And that's crucial, right, to selling these initiatives and to driving change. That is infinitely harder to do when yeah. they're just on Zoom and the moment it ends, you're not having those casual conversations or going to lunch together. You're just back in your separate worlds. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. Hope you're having a great week wherever you happen to be in the world. My guest today is Alex Slawsby, and he's the Chief Growth Officer of Inalead. And Inalead is a really interesting organization. They built the largest network of corporate innovators in the world, and their mission is helping deliver more impact to the organizations that are that are in their network and that they work with. Alex has a great background. He's kind of been doing this for a while. Uh, he was with Inosight, and if uh, those of you remember, uh, that was a company, a consultancy that Clayton Christian had started. Uh, he's been with an analyst firm. I think it might have been IDC. He'll correct me in a moment. But uh, just great set of experiences and been in innovation for a long time. Alex, welcome to the show. Paul, thank you so much for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, glad you could join us. Uh, where are you joining us from? Uh, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Pretty good innovation area, isn't it? I remember I remember when uh, we were just starting Sophion and uh, we put our offices in Colorado and everybody said, why aren't you in Boston? Right? <laughs> that's the place to be. <laughs> so what is Italy? Let's start there, Alex. Tell us about your, your, yourself and your, your, your company there. Yeah, Paul, thank you so much. For me, it's been about 20 years uh, doing various things in, in corporate innovation and uh, j just love the challenge of helping big companies uh, disrupt rather than be disrupted. Uh, a lot of interesting facets to that that we'll talk about today. InnoLead was founded about 10 years ago as an organization to bring together strategy, innovation, and R&D leaders around the world to help them learn from each other, maybe to avoid mistakes that others have made. And so we create content, put on events, create tools, not a consulting firm, you know, a membership organization. And then we're supported by uh, a number of great companies, service providers, software companies who support companies with innovation, uh, such as Sophion. So thank you so much for your support. You bet. And you have a conference coming up, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, thanks so much. So the end of October, we have our annual impact conference. It'll be here in Boston. Uh, we bring together uh, a few hundred, again, strategy, innovation, and R&D leaders for workshops, uh, main stage sessions, sort of a lot of good roll up the sleeve networking time. We also have uh, some unconference sessions, which we uh, really enjoy, where the attendees come up with the topics of interest while there and then gather together to discuss them. So at the end of October this year in Boston. That's great. Well, uh, I encourage everybody to, to check that out and try to attend it if you can. Alex, one of the things I, I used to ask this question of guests, but I don't ask it too much anymore, but I have to ask this of you. What is your definition of innovation? Yeah, so language is so important, as we've talked about. For me, it's something new that creates value. So whereas invention may just be something new, that value component is crucial. Something new that creates value. Yeah, you know, because a lot of, I'm glad you put the word value in there, right? Because a lot of, a lot of people will stop with uh, maybe front end or ideation or something and say, well, that's innovation. In fact, if you Google 
Google that. That's what you see. But you have to carry it through. You have to get the value at the back end. Otherwise, it really wasn't innovation. And that's my definition. Sounds like that's your definition as well. So I'm glad we, we could uh, we could kind of clean that one up right to start with. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's your kind of perspective on what's happening in innovation, how it's shifting? To me, it, to me, it feels like it's maturing to a degree. I see companies establishing new groups, to new people, new roles, uh, job titles, organizations to focus on innovation it feels like there's a maturing going on are you seeing something similar or where do you where do you see kind of state of play yeah i would agree with you more and more companies believing it's not just important but something that's so important it needs to be a capability an enduring capability we still see it different than a lot of the core functions in organizations and i think that's an opportunity that's missed right there's career paths in things like marketing and finance and r d and a lot of conversations we can have about whether or not there should be career paths in innovation, and, and there really aren't those things. And so that makes it challenging for you know those passionate about coming up with new things to really make it a, a good career, and certainly one where they could rise into levels of increasing responsibility in an organization, even perhaps up to a senior executive level, because innovation is something that's hard to quantify, the returns, how good of a job did you do you could look at, you know, somebody rising in finance or human resources or marketing and say, wow, you know, you've deployed the resources very effectively and look at the return for the organization. You know, you should now lead that function or even be the chief executive officer of the organization. Unfortunately, it's really rare that innovation leaders rise up to be the CEO because it's not seen as a professionalized thing. And that's an interesting challenge to discuss. So I think more organizations trying to think about how they create more of an enduring successful capability there, but we still got some distance to go before it's seen as truly legitimate, you know, senior executive material. Yeah. And yet without it, no company exists, right? <laughs> I mean, okay, you could say without a without a finance system, maybe you can't exist either. But if you if you don't have a product, if you don't have a you know something to offer, a business model, whatever it is, you don't have a company. So so critical. Yeah, and look, I mean, one of the the famous things that Jeff Bezos said is. Ideally, it's always day one in the organization. Mm. We can talk a little bit about that around change. And, and that's really hard to have it always be day one. But, you know, his point of view was, look, you've always got to be questioning what you're doing to ensure that it's the best thing for the market and for your growth. And the moment it's day two and you say, we've got it figured out, I think he said it's followed by stasis and then death, basically, for an organization. Yeah, 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 yeah we've seen, yeah. Yeah, so it's this, it's this idea of you always have to be evolving because if you're not, you're standing still and the world is changing around you. So to your point, innovation is crucial, but it's, it's complicated. <laughs> and so that's why, you know, again, it's been very hard for innovation leaders to say, look, I am crucial to the organization. I have an aspiration to lead it. I'm worthy of it. It's hard for, for those in the status quo to, to accept that as legitimate. Yeah. In the community, in, in a lead, are you finding that, you know, these are the issues that are people are talking about? What, what's, what's hot on people's minds right now around innovation? Yeah, it's actually, I would say the top thing is related to what we've just been discussing. And it's also related to the environment organizations are in right now around the economy, around questions about where things are headed. And so unfortunately, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so there's been layoffs, there's sort of lack of spending, you know, in different areas, innovation, there's been, should we spend in innovation right now? Should we just focus on the core business? That's sort of top of mind for, for folks. And so 
the big discussions right now, how do we tell compelling stories of the value that we're creating as innovation leaders and teams? How do we ensure that we can justify the resources we're receiving? No, I understand there's uncertainty, but we're doing important work. Some of it is in the core. We're improving what we do today. Some of it is further from the core, including things that may pay off down the line. But we're being very efficient with the resources, and this is the time to invest because those that don't will fall behind. So there's a lot of discussion about how you tell those stories, how you use the right metrics to prove value when times are leading to senior leadership teams asking tougher questions. So I would say that's sort of top of mind. How do you tell compelling stories? What are the right metrics? How do you prove that you should be given the time and space and resources to keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, great. Thanks for sharing that. We've been reading books and writing about innovation for a long time. I go back to, I think I did some research as to when uh, Bob Cooper wrote his first book on, on Stagegate, and it was back in the 80s, right? And we've seen so many you know, methodologies, so many authors come and go, some great ones, some great people. You know some of them personally, uh, some of them sadly who aren't with us anymore, but some of them who still are. So when you think about all all this stuff that's being written, right? And, and what would you say is that they get right? What did they get wrong? Yeah. So a lot of things to, to unpack there. I, I think for me, the thing I've always been passionate about is the human drama that is innovation. So, you know, as we all have, we've read the books, we've gone through the frameworks, the trajectories, all these sorts of things that work well on pages and in presentations. And these are the things you should follow. These are the things you should do. And if it's low end or new market or disruption or not, all those things, all those things are great. But ultimately beneath it, it's change. You know, innovation is change. We need to do something different than we're doing today. And the vast majority of humans hate change because we like not questioning everything about our lives on a daily basis, right? You get up, you have a routine. Why should I every morning go, should I do it differently today, right? So you don't like to ask those questions every day and organizations therefore made up of humans who don't like to change, but also it's even, you know, more challenging because if you're, you know, got any success as an organization, you got good at doing something and yes. to, to now say, let's do something different, right? Generally isn't smart and people are resistant and it's cost and inefficient. So what I would say is that, yes, all the frameworks and trajectories and things, but in the end, it's about how you, if you're trying to make change happen, how you help people in an organization resistant to change, particularly when those in power would likely lose from the change. How do you get them to buy in and support it? And that is insanely hard. And so, you know, whereas some of the things that, that Clay wrote about years ago, you know, he talked about how you've got leaders sort of fairly rationally, uh, you know, pursuing the best practices taught in business schools. These are your most profitable customers, serve them. But in fact, they would then lose sight of what was next, right? I think now a lot of people have read these books and, and know what companies screwed up, you know, in the 90s, right? But yet companies are still failing and they're still falling prey to the innovator's dilemma. And so that's where I come back to and say, it's not about the books and the frameworks. You can read all those things. It's about the people and the incentives. And why would I support the thing that could put my career into question, yeah. even though it's right for the company? So long story short, Paul, that's what I would say. It's this human piece. And how do you get people to support something that may not be in their best interest? And that is a fascinating channel. It is. And we can't you know, stop at a comment like that and not go into culture, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. because let's right. talk culture for a minute. You know, you see, though, the fascinating thing for me right now is, 
We went through Corona. We went all remote. We've got this work from home. We've got this battle going on with, you name it, any tech company right now of people need to be in the office, people need to be remote, or people want this huge battle going on. That's about culture. That's also about, uh, I think, invention, innovation, serendipity. There's this big pot of stuff being stirred right now. Uh, but at the bottom of it, it doesn't matter how many processes. And if you don't have culture, when everything breaks down, you depend on your culture to continue. So share some thoughts about culture. Yeah, I think you've made an excellent point about this world of, of hybrid work. And so if you're not spending your time shoulder to shoulder with your coworkers, if you're not spending your time, you know, in and around all the artifacts and all those key elements of culture, the sort of the behaviors and, and just the, the pictures on the wall and the signs and things that are in a building, you know, you're now sort of existing a bit outside and you're actually surrounded if you're at home with your family, right? And things that are much more individually important. So I think there's two interesting things. I think one, if you are not in that building and you have not been inculcated, then are you even less committed to the organization and trying to do the thing that might be good for it, but not for you and your family who you're surrounded yeah. by? Might you be more willing to go, you know something, I'm just going to toe the line, because I want this job and I want to keep this job. And, and so what's my incentive to fight for the company? The other thing which is interesting, though, is if you, you know, there's a lot of talent mobility these days, maybe a little less so because of the economy and some of the questions about hiring. But in this world of hybrid work, particularly with, you know, during the pandemic where people could work from anywhere. And so you didn't have to be geographically located, you know, at the headquarters or something like that. If people are even less than committed to working for a company or being in a location, then you sort of wonder if there are actually individuals who say, you know something, you know, I, I don't have to fight tooth and nail to be here. I'm just going to do it. I think I want to do. And, you know, if they want me back in the office, I'm going to quit. If they force me to do something I really don't like, you know, I'm going to go. So there's sort of both sides, maybe less commitment, you know, to organizations, you know, and more commitment to what matters to the person, which would make it even harder for people to fight for what's in the organization's interest and not in your own personal interest. Yeah. You know, that is, you just sum that up so well. And it's why we, I think we see key leaders trying to pull people back in the office. They, they, they kind of know this. They kind of, it's not about, are you working? It's about, are you kind of really engaged together as a team, as a group of people? And I'm thinking of the old get out of the office, you know, uh, get out and visit your customers. <laughs> That's really disappeared with work from home. And everybody says, well, I can get out of the office virtually. It's not the same thing. It's really different when you're sitting uh, in the environment that, that a company might be working in. And this is why so many consultants have gone back on the road now uh, because they know being there in it, at the place is so critically important. Um, so it's, I feel like we're in a big, big experiment, a big test tube experiment right now. And we will find out in 20 years exactly what the results of this until then i don't know that we're gonna know maybe it's not 20 but at some point right yeah and look back to the conversation we just had around change so if you are trying to move the organization and not take the easy way out and say you know something i'm just going to go elsewhere the people the trust it's one thing if you can walk down the hallway and you can sit in someone's office and and get a sense of what matters to them and understand them, much like you'd use human-centered design to figure out what the external customer wants, and go down the hallway and maybe that's that key leader who you need to support you can figure out what's important to them and you can build the relationship and the trust. 
mentorship, perhaps make those bonds that then might have that person support you. And that's crucial, right? To selling these initiatives and to driving change. That is infinitely harder to do when yeah. they're just on Zoom and the moment it ends, you're not having those casual conversations or going to lunch together. You're just back in your separate worlds. So I think that's a huge issue too, because trust in those relationships are so important and really hard to do that. And so I think you're exactly right. Beyond just the, the cost of all this office space and the leases and all the investment and justifying that, bringing people back into the culture, getting them committed, building those relationships can absolutely see why, you know, senior leadership teams want to do it. But employees might say, you know, I love the fact that I can walk the dog or see my kids during the day. They'd rather be, you know, at home. It's a big challenge. That's for sure. I, I personally uh, uh, always enjoyed, you know, just who you happen to meet at the coffee machine, right? And, you know, hey, Bob, how was your weekend? And he might say something and then all of a sudden, hey, there's an idea, right? It just sparks something. The other thing is, is understanding maybe who's going to be, if you're doing innovation, who's going to be, let's say, not necessarily against it, but maybe so, maybe against it or, or not, not supportive. And knowing that and being able to engage in that and understand the dynamics of that person, it, again, infinitely harder to do virtually. We have a meeting, it's scheduled, we talk about whatever it is we're going to talk about, and boom, we're gone. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, to your point, understanding who, who may not support you, you know, more important than maybe understanding who's going to support you, particularly if that person, you need the resources, the air cover, political support, right, whatever it is. That's even harder to do because you can't just drop by and maybe you're not going to end up on a call with them anyway. And something else to think about, there's a certain way you might approach building relationships over Zoom or, or over you know a web conference. You need to maybe emote even more. You need to try to engage even more, maybe amp it up. And those people who are not naturally salespeople or relationship builders, it's even harder to yeah, do. Exactly. So it puts a premium on your ability to get people to emote and to laugh and to build relationships. And that's just... That's just so hard, particularly for people who may not be predisposed to it. So, yeah, it makes all this change stuff really hard. Yeah, there's nothing like seeing a person in a conference room where you're talking about a topic and you can tell by the body language a lot of things. You don't get yeah. that at all, especially if they're not putting their camera on, which, you know, I've been in a lot of these meetings where nobody has a camera. I'm like, how can you even make this work without a camera? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the question of engagement, right? It's... You know, if you're not on camera, are you even looking at the screen? It's so right. easy to multitask. So all of these things, it, divert att it diverts attention. It limits the ability to build relationships. And that makes driving change just so hard. And so I think, yeah, to your point, in the coming years, we're going to see uh, how has this impacted organizations' abilities to come up with really new stuff and to make it, you know, bring it to market? Yeah. Well, let's shift back to uh, innovation in general. You know, if you if you think about how in, we were talking earlier about how innovation is perceived in the company, different levels, it's certainly perceived different ways. But you know, let's talk about perception of innovation and how how it needs to change if it needs to change. Yeah. So innovation, unfortunately, is frequently seen as a lot more flash than substance, a lot more talk than walk, a lot more promise than results. 
there's a lot of aspiration, hopes and dreams. You know, are you going to be the person who's known by, you know, the, the last name? Are you going to be Jobs or Musk or Heller, for example, which people, of course, aspire to be? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of that, right? It's cool. It's new. It's flashy. You've got the cool computers, the labs, all of those cool. Right, right, right. Well, it, unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, there's a lot of people who get put in that shadow who are not the cool people, but those are actually keeping the lights on and making the business operate. So if this is not managed very carefully from the beginning, you have people ready with, you know, torches and pitchforks. The moment those high flying innovation folks consume a lot of money and space and everything and then don't deliver, right? Oh, it's just more slides and they're pretty, but hey, I'm keeping the lights on. So I think that's a big issue. It's a big cultural issue. We were just talking about that. But it's just a big issue that innovation leaders can't prioritize enough in terms of avoiding that. And so uh, because you're already going to get people who are sort of saying, you know, oh, I'm going to expect that you're going to talk a lot and not actually deliver. So there's some ways to deal with that. But I think that's the first thing when you're running innovation in a company, you've got to be aware there's a lot of people, you know, probably quietly uh, expecting you to fall and not deliver. And so you got Right. Yeah. Isn't that something? Well, I think, and I'm thinking, you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking about corporate accelerators, which is well, something many companies are trying to set up. They, they set them up, they fail, they set them up, they, whatever, they <laughs> morph into something else. But when you want to incent, let's say a group of people working with even maybe in, in open innovation, where they're working with startups and they're doing some things that people are motivated and rewarded maybe differently than the people who are, you know, paying for the lights, as you said, right? The light, keeping the lights on. And then at some point they clash because they need the resources from the, the people who in manufacturing, let's say, who are, you know, dealing with the products, the day-to-day -day products, the historical, the core, and this clash happens. I mean, I, any perspective on that that you've seen and any techniques to get around it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so I think I, I, I've got a, probably a bit of a provocative view on this, which is uh, there are certainly things that, you know, organizations should be doing to drive innovation in the core businesses and maybe to even expand the core businesses into adjacent spaces. And that's where you're creating a lot of value for the core business. You're maybe helping them, I like to say, make the blue thing green, you know, the line extensions. You're sort of helping them do that better. And then maybe you're helping them reach into the things that are near, but a bit different. And so in that case, if you're like a centralized innovation function, or even if you're in the business units, you're creating demonstrable value for them that people can measure and see. Now, if the organization needs to generate growth beyond that, so build really new and different things, things that might draw the ire of, of you know, the antibodies and all those change resistant forces, you know, there's a lot of folks interested in this idea of venture, right? Venture studios and venture building. And there's a, you know, I think a good question, which is maybe, you know, organizations should really look externally and say, if we really think we need to build something really new and different that likely will draw the ire, those antibodies, right. cause all kinds of issues internally. You know, maybe we invest off the balance sheet and say, we'll be an investor. Let's put, you know, a million bucks in and have somebody else sort of build a startup for us that we could acquire, you know, that we would could learn from whatever it might be, but not try to do that in house with our own startup teams that, you know, can we really give them the incentives they need? Can we really give them the space? So 
I love to have the conversation about, you know, core and adjacent innovation, maybe the, I don't really like the horizons, but sort of H1, H2 internally. And maybe that transformational new venture building H3, maybe just put that outside and do it in a way where you don't have to worry about handoffs and all of that conflict. Yeah, that's great perspective. I actually, I actually share that perspective. I don't know it's as controversial as you might think it is, uh, <laughs> but, but I see people struggling with uh, companies struggling with that right now, trying to figure that out. And uh, it's hard to just, just cut it external and say, okay, I'm going to invest in it like a, like, like you said, like a venture and not have it be connected to the core. It's hard to do. What's your thoughts on, uh, on, uh, well, actually, let's ask this. You've seen a lot of stuff, a lot of innovation. Some works great. Some works, uh, not great. You have any great stories to share or, or, you know, something that went crazy or went unexpected, either good or bad or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a number, but I think the one that, that comes most immediately to mind, it's something I was, involved in. And I think when I was back with Innocite, Clay Christensen's consultancy, and, and had the fortune of working on a project with the great folks at, at Johnson & Johnson, and this was on diabetes care. And you know, about a little over 10 years ago, we were working with Animus, which is a uh, insulin pump company that Johnson & Johnson had acquired. And they made these uh, very capable, reliable insulin pumps that diabetics would wear that would give you, you know, you could give yourself the insulin you, you need to moderate your blood sugar. And so you'd wear the device on your, your hip, on a belt, and it had a screen and, and a lot of functionality. And we were brought in to help them think about the future. What's, what's next? How do we build a better pump? And, you know, as you might expect, you had a lot of great engineers, a lot of great, you know, folks in all the functions at Animus who liked the idea of building just better pumps. Well, to their credit, they said, go out and just start, you know, fresh. And we went out, you know, did the jobs to be doing research and, you know, as, as sort of we know now, what we found was that, you know, people with diabetes, they didn't like having this thing on their belt. It made them feel and look hurt, broken, not, not healthy, emotional and social, right? Strong jobs there. And so really what they wanted to do was make it all go away, vanish if they could. And then, of course, so much is important around behavior change and ensuring you're, you're tracking, you know, your insulin levels and things like that. What became very clear to us was make that pump as small as possible make it vanish if you could. And then people had phones. How do you create games? You know, how do you personalize it in a way that it's sort of fun to manage your, your diabetes and yeah, overcome these things? Yeah. And so we did this project. We, we spent a lot of time out, you know, doing the research, meeting with diabetics, kids, their parents, caregivers, all that. And we came back, we actually 3D printed some, some pump forms and things, right? We, we were real scrappy on it. And we came back and really we said the future is make the pump go away if you could and put it on the phone. And so, you know, around that time, of course, patch pumps that you would just put on your arm, you know, with, with batteries were, were really uh, beginning to emerge. And I, you know, ultimately it led to a lot of conversations there at Johnson and Johnson and Animus around the broader diabetes solution strategy. And in 2017, Johnson Johnson actually passed a lot of what was Animus on to Medtronic, another player in the insulin pump business, and shut it down and said, like, insulin pumps are not where we want to be. And they still were focused on uh, test strips and things like that. So I think to their credit, they said, look, go where it goes, you know, come back to us with what you see. Likely was not easy for the people in the organizations to start to realize that what they were good at wasn't, you know, the future. But to the credit of the folks over there, they said, well, let's have this difficult conversation. And it elevated a strategy in the end. They decided to shut that business down. So I think, look, they were open to asking really hard questions and then figuring out that where they needed to go might mean that the business they were in was not the right business. So I give them a lot of credit, but it was a lot of, you know, fun work to do and, and to, to 
really see the world through the eyes of these patients and what's best for them. So uh, really rewarding. That is a great, that is such a great example. And what I like most about it is, you know, it's an example of the decision was to stop, right? And that's, that's a decision a lot of companies don't want to make, right? Or a lot of people don't want to make, right? You're really vested in this and, and you're almost like, well, it's going to go on forever, right? We want our innovations to last forever. And if it's the wrong innovation, it shouldn't last forever. And that was, you know, part of what you just talked about too. So very interesting story. Yeah. And you know, somebody, I'll tie it quickly back to an earlier part of our conversation. So, of course, this is real change management, right? How do you get somebody who's a senior leader, an engineer, who, who's risen to their role building the traditional pumps, how do you get them to start thinking about the fact that the future, you know, is not something that they're uh, know, or, or or maybe the future is not an organization they, they would be positioned to lead? We have the opportunity to have leaders like that come into focus groups and, and sit and observe and hear the stories. And we brought in videos and audio. Because in the end, you know, some people are moved by data and numbers. Some people are moved by, you know, hey, this is going to help me in my career. Some people are moved by just sort of stories. And again, one thing great about a lot of these successful healthcare companies, it really is about the patient. And so when you, you could bring in leaders and they could hear it right from the patient that they're dedicated to, to supporting, if they can hear that what's right for the patient may be a little bit different. It gets them in, in the heart in a way that they f may be more open to the fact that this is really what's best for the patient, even if it's not what we've done. So it's back to that change management, getting people to see, and some people are moved by that. So getting people, to, use it, to your point, out to spend time with the customer, to really hear it from those that matter can help you get key folks to understand and maybe support the change you're trying to drive. Absolutely. And the further you are away from the person consuming uh, your product or service, you're just disconnected. And if you're close and then you hear it firsthand, I think it makes a big difference. Absolutely. Well, here's a final question for you, Alex. Actually, I'll have two questions, but one's really a, a, an easy one. But what advice would you give to somebody who came to you and said, you know, I've been brought in to set up innovation in our company. You know, we, yes, we've been doing innovation, but we never did it well. We never did it formally. I'm here now. I have to set up innovation. What a, what a great opportunity <laughs> and massive challenge at the same part. You know, so there's sort of a, a bunch of nested pieces of advice here. But at the first step, language. <laughs> you know, if you say the word innovation in a room of 10 people and 10 people think 10 different things, you're, you know, part of my language screwed. Like you're not going to be successful, right? So the first step, you know, and it's arguably it's during the interview, you know, when, when, when you apply and they say, come on in, right? Or you're saying, I want that role. You really want to say, well, do you want more innovation? Well, what does that mean? And is it growth? Like, what are we trying to do here? Because in the end, they could be thinking something you're not, All right. right? So Excellent. be it even the interview and application process, much less when you've started day one. What do we mean? Let's make sure we all have the language right. Why is it important? Getting those core things out of the way, because if you don't, you could then go way down a path of trying to do a type of innovation that doesn't matter because everybody just nodded. So that's where I'd start. It's, it's just, okay, words, words matter. What is it? Why is it important? Get that out of the way in the interview before you decide to take the job, much less on day one. 
figure it out. Don't do anything else. Figure that out and try to get alignment first. That's an awesome answer. That's a great answer. Thanks for letting me put you on the spot there because that just shows you how much you know what you're talking about because you didn't <laughs> flinch. You just went right for it. So <laughs> I spent a lot of time thinking about and working on this stuff. Well, Alex, I got to I gotta thank – I can't thank you enough for stopping by and, and chatting with us. I'd love to do it again. The final question, which I thought was an easy one, is if people want to follow you or learn more, what's the best way to follow you and connect with you and, and uh, keep track of what's going on? Yeah, Paul, thanks so much. Well, certainly, you know, go to innolead.com, I-N-N-O-L-E-A-D.com to learn more about our organization. Uh, look us up on LinkedIn. We've got a lot of uh, great, like I said, content events, tools for people who are trying to drive change to be a part of. Certainly look me up on, on LinkedIn and reach out to me. I, I'd love to connect. Great. Well, thanks again, Alex. Have a have a great week. I'm grateful that you shared all of what you shared with us. Really, it was, was really great. So thanks for joining us. Wonderful, Paul. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Do reach out to, to Alex. Reach out to Italy. Check out the Impact Conference coming up. Up and just follow their website because there's, a, like, like you said, a lot of stuff happening there. And I wish you all a great week ahead. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com. S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>